This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. The most cutthroat thing hunters do to other hunters is buy or lease hunting land and keep it all to themselves or hire an outfitter that has done this dirty work for them. If hunters made a collective decision to stop buying up exclusive experiences for themselves, there'd be more opportunity for all of us. When you grip and grin the harvest from your pay hunt on Instagram or make a TV show about it, or hang it on your wall. It's a testament to your greed, not your accomplishment. This is especially true when you hire an outfitter to take you out on land they've locked up and find you something to shoot. In successfully harvesting a game animal, executing the shot is about 5% of the accomplishment. So when you do this, 95% of the achievement is someone else's. It's not yours. Being that I hold these views, I was pretty nervous about this next podcast, and I think that comes through in the audio. I edited it out. I edited it out about thirty of my ums and likes. Um, like, so you think? Uh, I left a few of the ums in for authenticity's sake, but I've got to stop saying um so much. I was nervous because my guest was Rod Paschke, an outfitter in addition to my friend John Kuntz. I was nervous because we were recording in person at my house, and I thought it might get heated, though it didn't. John, like me, has serious misgivings about private land pay hunting, and it took a lot of courage for Rod to waltz into this den of vipers. John knows quite a few hunting guides, and when casually debating them about what they do, he sometimes gets frustrated and tells them they have outfitter breath. Rod handled the conversation with grace, and that stands as a testament to his character. Well over half the conversation centers on poor hunter behavior, a widespread phenomenon that is perhaps taking a bigger toll on opportunity for the unwashed hoi poi than even pay hunting. We've got to do something about hunter behavior. And on this point, Rod... John, and your humble host, couldn't agree more. Okay, uh, I'm here with my dear friend John Kuntz and and my new acquaintance and hopefully new friend, uh, Rod Paschke. Rod Paschke, where'd you grow up? Grew up in Williston, North Dakota. Okay, and how long have you been here? Moved here in 1996. Okay. Yep, right to Miles City. Uh, How old were you then? Uh, 25 when I moved here. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's where I met John. Okay. Yep. And you um, live in Jordan? We do now. Yep. My wife was born and raised up there. Uh, When we first got married, she was teaching school in Terry. I lived in Miles City for four years. We got married, moved to Terry, and then uh, I guess it was 10 years ago we moved up home. Okay. Yep. So... Uh, and you and you're still working at the ranch, but and you're also an outfitter. Correct. There's several things we uh, that I, I think we all want to talk about together, and I think it'd be good to get the the uncomfortable one out of the way first, which is um, 
John and I have our views on outfitting and and uh, and you're an outfitter, so it'd be ignoring a pretty obvious topic if we didn't talk about that for Perfect. a minute. J- John, give give your cliff notes on, on how you feel about well, it, <clears throat> outfitting to me has always been the removal of an opportunity for me to go. So uh, when I first came here, as we talked before, you know, it was real easy to find a place to hunt. You went and asked, you went and asked, and, and they said, yeah. You built a relationship with the, with the landowner, and there was no problem. <clears throat> Increasingly, as time went by, that dwindled. So I immediately copped an attitude that outfitting was the problem. Um, I think that, moreover, to look at what caused private landowners to reach out to outfitters. What happened? Somewhere, something went badly awry with the hunting public and, and being able to culture relationships with landowners and, and, and find or, a place or what, to hunt. Or, or was it that, okay, I'm open to that, and I think that that's, there's a component of that, but couldn't it also be that all the attention that's been drawn to hunting oh. through, through hunting social media and hunting TV has jacked up the value of unpressured hunting so much that now people are willing to pay for it? Oh, I, I, think, I, think, that's, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I, I, think, and, that, I think of hunting TV as is an aggressive form of free advertising for the outfitting industry. So, I, I mean, yeah, maybe hunter behavior has gotten worse, but I think that that's yeah. a component as well. And f- economics have come into that as well. I mean, here you sit with the rancher that uh, none of us are getting rich doing this, ranching. Right. Uh, you're, you're a mechanic. You oh. understand it. I'm well, I well understand what you're saying. Tell that a little bit. Well, I mean, I mean we're looking at right now, we're steering 300 plus dollar a ton hay in the eye, not knowing if we're going to have any grass. And so all of a sudden these, I mean, this is just this year, for example, but it's been going on for 30 years, 20 years especially, when the economics of actual farming and ranching don't look so appealing and all of a sudden they look around, they got all these deer, antelope, elk, whatever the case is, and they know that they can get some kind of economic impact from them, of course they're going to reach out and yeah. change the, what they're doing. Right, right. I, I'm not I, saying it's right. Well, I'm not going to say it's wrong either. Uh, but that has very much so come into play. Right, right. So I guess I have a dodge, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain this by way of saying how I feel about outfitting. I don't, I guess this is kind of a cop-out, but I don't really have to think about um, I don't have to think about how I feel about the landowner deciding to lease his land out to an outfitter or the decision of the outfitter to, to lease the land. Instead, I kind of circumnavigate all that and I go directly to the hunting community. And that's where I, that's where my problem lies. <clears throat> I... I can't imagine, I would never, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even cross my mind, it seems so rude to go into a community where people live all year round, and you're here, you're from some other state, or some other part of the state, but out here it's a lot of times it's other states, and come in 
and buy us out, people that live here all year round. So I, I like to keep my views on outfitting kind of like internal to the hunting community. And that's, I guess, the message that I, I share with people is I just think it's really rude to come in and, um, and buy a, an exclusive experience for yourself at the expense of everybody that lives there all year. I get that. I get that. And I'll be honest, one of the other reasons landowners have chosen to go with an outfitter is poor hunter behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, now that we've gotten through that, the outfitter bit, I think I wanted to do that one first. Cause I thought, you know, what if it gets heated? Oh, well, and then you, and then you, and I'd rather <laughs> we end on a note where we're like agreeing on stuff, you know, not a problem. So, um, this is something I, this, the landowner behavior bit is something that John and I think a lot about. The landowner behavior. Or the hunter behavior bit is something that John and I think a lot about these days. As a matter of fact, we have a little group that we've been meeting with. We're meeting tonight. This will be our third Third meeting. And um, we're trying to work on access. We're kind of toying with two ideas. One of them is to help out with some work projects with ranchers to encourage them to um, work with hunters and provide access, work with FWP through government programs and provide access. And the other one is is training, training hunters on how to behave on somebody's place, which is a weird thing because it's like, we're talking about stuff that you should know by the time you're in sixth grade. Right. Don't shit in front of the sign-in box. <laughs> Yeah, close, I mean, close the gate. Yeah, you know, um, common sense stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we're we, you do we're you're on the board of public lands, private, private land, private land, public wildlife. Wild I'm sorry. Um, did you know? Did, and you guys just had a meeting what a few weeks ago? Yeah, right? a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Did you hear? Did you see me give comment on that? I did. Okay. Yep. I did. So I'm trying to encourage them. And I think others in our group are as well to have a mandatory training program. And I go back on, and so this would look like the way I would see it working would be an online video that you'd watch and uh, that hunters would watch. And then there may be, be a little test. And if you want to hunt block management, which is uh, uh, our program for providing access through our fish and game management agency here in Montana, for uh, people to hunt private, some private lands. If you want to hunt the block management, you've got to go through this tr- this training. And I think, on one hand, I think, well, the bad actors, that ain't going to... Not going to deter them. The only thing I can think is if half the video, the first half of the video was cautionary tales, allegories. So... Maybe you have five of them. This place used to be in. And then some guy called up called up the landowner at four in the morning to ask permission, even though it says right on his block management materials, you only call from six PM to nine PM or whatever. And now he can't now you can't go there anymore. Or stories like that. Oh, yeah. Several of them. I just wonder like even people that are total a-holes, maybe they'd go, Well, I do like to have a place to hunt. So I'm not going to do that anymore. The other thing benefit I could see it having is there's two. One is there could be a component of it. If you see something, say something. And 
try to mitigate the bad behavior of others by picking up trash or whatever and taking care of problems that arise before they get to the rancher or the egg producer or the landowner can avoid some of this. And the other thing it seems that would seem to be a value is if if the if the hunting community fights for a training program and so says we want to be required to do this, at least says to the landowner, we care. That this is just a few bad apples and we're as dismayed and upset about it as you are. But you guys are aware of the fact that the FWP does have this online course that you can go you it's not mandatory but you can go take it yeah and actually we our chairman uh on the plbw reached out to all of our member all the council and wanted us to take that course before this last meeting we had well of course our last meeting was at eight o'clock one morning i think i got on the computer at six o'clock was done by about 20 after six it's very common sense i don't i know where you guys are going and i there is already one out there. It could be improved, but until we get bigger fines implemented and loss of hunting privileges, we're not going to win. Well, and I think I, I I agree with you. I, I think that that as we evolve this test, right off the bat, everybody really needs to understand that if you if you if you take this thing and you plan on hunting block management and 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 you and you mess up and you get caught um there's some teeth there's some teeth in the punishment you're not gonna just get to go back and hunt i i mean something something has to be more more um something has to happen to make make these bad actors set up and pay attention Either maybe it just becomes too much for them and they don't want to hunt, or uh, which is fine because then they probably shouldn't be. Then then uh, then access becomes easier. Uh, I, I don't know. if At some point, we're gonna have to back up and ha- and have you, Rod, tell us some stories about what you see out in the country okay. in terms of behavior. I don't know if now is the time to do that, but I, I want to allow as much time as possible to talk about solutions because exactly. yeah. that's what we yeah. need to be focused well, on. Well, I agree. And so maybe we need to reverse this a little bit. But, uh, and I can give a prime example of that uh, because I, I, I come in contact with a lot of ranchers. I once asked a man down in Broadus, large landholder, why he was outfitted. And he said, well, we used to be block management. Um, and I said, oh, I, I can't wait to hear what happened. And he said, well, one fall, uh, we, were, we were gathering cattle. We were going to work some cattle, uh, getting ready to sell our calves. We have a set of branding corrals that are uh, off in the hills where we work our cattle. And he said, my wife always comes up there, uh, makes dinner for us. Uh, there were some barbecues there, some coolers full of meat, uh, uh, burger and bratwurst, things that she was going to make for the crew, uh, was all placed there previous to them gathering. They went and did their work. They came to the corrals, brought the cattle in. No way. They were block management at the time. They get there, coolers and the grills are gone. They're like, what? What happened to this stuff? No, nobody knew. Of course, they had to go ahead and work the cattle, but he, you know, went on with life. Two days later, they're in town at the local butcher shop 
where many people bring their wild game to get processed and they look in the back of a pickup truck and there's their stuff. The coolers still have the name of the ranch on the side of them. <laughs> Could there be anything worse than, than stealing from someone that's in the midst of doing you a favor? Food. Exactly. <laughs> food. Yeah, food. Yeah. yeah. So, and, 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 and he said, from that day forward, it's done. We, we went directly Who is to this? Randall Inc. No shit. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 what's what's funny is 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 a, now a very good friend of both you and I, I believe, has his ground leased. Uh, he's an outfitter. Uh, um, I believe it's Powder River Outfitters. Either Powder River or Gardner's. It's Gardner. Okay. And and I have asked uh, because once again he's made the statement. Oh, we've got all these does. Or, you know, we've got all these does. We've got to do something with them. And like allow some public hunting. Nope, not happening. We, we, we don't want to deal with the problem anymore. So. That's a pretty bitter pill to swallow. Oh, but, but, and you want to know what? As, as a hunter, as a person trying to make things better for public access, I have to sit back and say, I, I got to agree with you because I'd have done the same thing too. I mean, what, what, what do you say to that? What do you say to when somebody has taken your coolers and your grill of you and stuff, and 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 then you find it in town uh, at the local butcher shop. I, I guess I'd take a more targeted approach to my punishment. I, I yeah, I, I can understand that. You know, I wouldn't. Just you don't want to publish. paint with such a broad brush. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yes. yeah, yeah. But so, give us give us a, a juicy story, Rod. Oh God, which one? Uh, well, I'll be honest. I just got a really good elk lease thrown in my lap up at home. And yeah, I heard about this just today. And oh, I used to haunt that place. Thanks a lot. <laughs> but when uh, we sat down and put ink on the contract, uh, you know, and this was kind of a you know month long process of talking and meeting and whatever. It was easy, but I mean, you know. And I asked him. I said, "Why did you decide to do this?" Because I needed it all for my own. I knew what it was, but I wanted to know. He said, I'm tired of dealing with public. And he said, we get trespassed on nonstop. He said, there's people that just drive through us and, I mean, are rude. There are people that come and hunt it that don't even say thank you. I'm sure you weren't one of those, but uh, he said, I'm just done dealing with it. And the guy is very wealthy, but again, in today's age, with uh, in the ag economy... A little extra money doesn't hurt either. And, you know, I mean, the guy's done very well for himself, but mm-hmm. still, he's got hired men and, and whatnot, and he's got bills to be paid. But the main thing was poor hunter behavior as it boiled down to, and he said, now that's your problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's, <laughs> that's exactly the way it is. So, so I, I want to ask you a question, and you can either decide not to answer it or answer it. On the average, say a place of... 15 plus sections. What do you pay for a year to lease? Do you lease by the animal taken? Do you lease by the year? What's what's the formula for which outfitters lease land? You know, uh, back in the day, a lot of it used to be by the head. Mm-hmm. But there was enough outfitters that burned bridges 
because they might have paid a landowner for five and killed ten or fifteen. And I've heard those. I've heard those stories. Okay. So, and I get that. Yep. I mean, I get. I, I get why the landowner's mad. I don't get why the outfitter do that. I thought it was dumb. So, some of my places are straight up flat fee. I kind of come up with a deal a few years back where uh, when landowners would approach me about leasing, uh, and we'd get down to the nuts and bolts of it, was it worth? And I would ask them, how many deer can we kill off of here? I'll use deer, mule deer as an example. How many mule deer can we kill and not hurt the population? So we're, we're doing this every year. You know, keep the mall rolling. And they kind of, and a lot of them don't know, but kind of come up with a number. So what I'll do is I'll guarantee them X amount of money, usually half of what that number is. I said, if we kill zero, let's say the number's eight. We kill zero to four, I'll guarantee you X amount of money because we are using your ground mm-hmm. and uh, you need paid for that. And then X amount over that, every for every deer we kill over that number is extra. And I guess in my opinion, it covers my butt because I'm not sticking my neck out there for a bunch of money, especially on a place I've never hunted. And I don't know what the hell it's going to be. You know, if it's good, bad, indifferent, right. especially something that came out of block management. You don't know, as an example. But in the same sense, it covers the landowner, too, because he's getting paid for me to use it. And he's going to try to keep it better because he knows the more animals, the more deer we can kill off of that, the more he's going to get paid. So I think it protects both parties. Uh, as far as throwing a dollar figure out, I'm probably not going to, but it's significant. So, without throwing a dollar figure out, if you had a place that you killed, let's just say four bucks on, mm-hmm. let's say this piece of property was 20 sections, okay. would would $20,000 a year be close? A little high. A little high, okay. And that's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, because the angle I work at here is, if it's just about money, okay, and the cap on block management is twenty five thousand now. Twenty five thousand now. After legislation last spring. So so if a person puts puts his property in block management, let's just say that they show up and they say, uh, we're gonna give fifteen thousand to you. And then he gets involved with the uh what's the program Land that BLM has now? Oh the uh uh Pala. Pala Act. And and they say, Pala. Well, you've got uh Three or four pieces of ground, if you add, you know, we're going to give you 10, you add that to the 15, he's at 25 grand. Now he's approaching close to what an outfitter may or may not give him. So so now it becomes a situation where where he, he it's not so much what one or the other is going to pay, it's what he wants to deal with. Does he want to deal with an outfitter? That comes in, or is he willing to accept the public? And when I say that, I don't mean that we throw the floodgates open. I mean reasonable access based on some reasonable training that that gives an opportunity for hunters to culture relationship. And 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 I want to say this, and I, and 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 possibly displace the outfitting community from that property. 
Here's one thing that, and this came up in the PLBW meeting, this Pala or Pala program. What does that stand for? Public access yeah. landlocked something. I can't. I got yeah, great. Yeah. I should know this. Yeah, but it's the Pala program. But and I explained to the council the other day. This <laughs> this is in deliberations with the private land public wildlife group in the PLPW. Yeah. Yes. And this, we're discussing this. And because there's a big form you have to fill out, landowners fill out, and then me being on the PLPW, if it's in my region, I have to go over it, yada, yada. The one I. Oh, you have a role in, in uh, I guess, approving those. I just found that okay. out in the last meeting. I didn't know that. Okay. But the one thing I did tell the, con- the remaining, you know, the rest of the council is one reason a lot of landowners will not go into that. Is because at this point you're allowing access through your private to get to public, and they're going to start hunting from the time they cross the first gate until they get to where they're actually supposed to be hunting. And here we are back in poor hunter behavior, I, and it's causing the problems. I agree with you, and I haven't not thought that one through yet. But you're right; I, I had thought about that. So I wouldn't, no matter what. But like, it could be just a giant, and I wouldn't. But I'm I know sure. you wouldn't, but we have I'm sure there are a but, lot of people. But you that know, would. But so but I, I get the impression from that you you think that that if the if there were bigger legal consequences, people would absolutely. And see, like I'm a kind of person like I don't even know what a typical fine is. They just had House Bill 108, and I did not. I found this out at the meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. I did not know it got revised, but uh, House Bill 108, I'm pretty sure it's 108, this last session, and it was to revise the uh, the fines. But it's still, like, your first offense of trespassing is 135 up to 500. Second one, you know, it's kind of, there's a scale, and I don't think you lose your privileges until your third violation. See, and I think the loss of privileges... Should be number one. Should be number one, because this is going to make you... Th- I, I want to believe this is going to make people think. Maybe let me throw this out there. So so we have a, a, a situation. Well, okay, but I'm, I'm, I don't see how that's like central to access. If you are get caught trespassing, you're on some place where it's not like you're screwing up access. You didn't have access. But there's no repercussion for being in the wrong place. I, I think the idea being that the landowner is going to start to realize. I'm hoping that there's strong enough there's strong enough penalties for screwing up that after a while, the the amount that he has to worry about it subsides. I, you see what I'm saying? It's like, well, if these guys screw up, they don't ever get to come back. I, I'm I'm almost willing to gamble that. I am too. But but here's what here's here's an interesting scenario possibly in my mind is interesting anyway is so these these hunters are driving through this private property that this man has allowed them to drive through through to get to program, for the Palo program. He's not they're driving part, through in a, they're driving through ground they can't hunt. Right. They to get to ground they can't. Yeah, and and they and they they see this this deer, whether it's a trophy deer or not, we all, we all know that most of these people see a three and a half year three old, and a half year old mule deer is giant to them, yep. and so they shoot it. They can't stand themselves. They shoot it and they get caught. So they should understand 
long before they come onto that property. If they get caught doing that, they have to buy that animal as a trophy animal from that landowner. What defines two problems? I'm no, not no let me I back can, up. Okay. They have to pay for that animal. Doesn't matter if it's a trophy or not. Who puts value on? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm just, I'm, 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 not I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, but I don't know. But I, I have to be completely honest with you. If you do that, maybe it should cost you two thousand bucks. I mean, and that's just a, that's just a number I'm throwing out. I don't know that that. I, it, I don't know if it's a hundred and forty inch mule deer at three and a half years old. He should cost you two thousand. What if he's a one eighty five? Should cost you damn. I mean, you know how. That's do the problem with hunting in general. Yeah. Is the money is the money. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's still a value on. I, I I just that's that's why like it just goes against everything that I have been as a hunter. Like hunting has always been to me this like personal thing of getting something by your wits. You know, without advantages. And then we start throwing dollar figures around about what a deer is worth. Mm-hmm. Man, I just, I know that's the way it is, but man, it just makes me so freaking sad. Because it just makes me realize more and more, like, if I, if I had to guess where this all ends, what, like, hunting in America is going to be like in a, a hundred years. It's going to be a rich man's game. It's going to be European. It's going to be completely privatized. I know? think you're 90 years too long. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We still have a lot of public land. Well, that's so, and 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 there's going to be something that people are going to hunt that, but like, it just, um, I don't know what how. I mean, the quality is not very good in a lot of public lands, as we all know. Like, I have friends that are hunting around here this year. Like, it's just like they're not. They come home like it wasn't even worth it. There was just people freaking on every ridge. So, so like, I feel like there'll still be some, you'll still be able to eke out a little bit of hunting, like the kind of hunting I care about, where there's not, you're not paying for it. Um, here's, but, here's a deal in Montana, though. And I bet you heard these numbers yesterday. There's 30 plus million acres of accessible public ground in the state of Montana, plus 7 million acres of block management. Mm-hmm. But we are still dealing with people squealing about the outfitting community, about landowners not allowing access. Here's a problem. There's 37 million acres of accessible ground, but there's lacking quality, just like you say. And that they don't, they want access, but they want access to quality too. Mm-hmm. And I about got cursed the other day when I brought this up at the PLPW meeting about the 454 program, I said, there's a couple of these fringe groups out there that are not going to be happy until they have unfettered access to the best ranches in the state of Montana. Do you ever approach somebody about leasing up their ranch and they say no? I don't have to. They come to you. And here's why. I, And it's not just me. They come to... They, they seek out outfitters when they want. And I guarantee you, if you went and uh, polled... 20 outfitters in eastern Montana, if you could find 20. And asked them the one question, how do you come across your leases? The most common answer is going to be they come to us because they are tired of dealing with public hunters. Or they were in block management. Or whatever. But Or maybe they allowed people to come and hunt. And they are just tired of it. 
Yeah. And they start the thing. They start seeking us out because at the end of the day, if something happens, they get a cow shot. The gate lets, gets left open. There's some trash out there. They have one person to come back to, and that's us. Sure. And that's the way it should be. Oh, I mean, that, exactly. That's our responsibility. Oh, it's so funny to me to like to think about. I mean, I know it's true, but it's like, how much of a dumbass do you have to be? Like on a huge place, how it'd be so easy to go in there and leave no evidence of of you being there. We do it every day. You do it every day. I do it every day. You do it every day. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. hard. Yeah, like when we're when we're um, we tag a deer, antelope, whatever, and we cut the little triangle out to tag them. You pick that up. They get thrown in the trash bag. <laughs> we do not. That's how minute yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way it should be. Nobody's ever going to see it, but it's still, what if they do? Mm-hmm. It's still not right. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, a couple years ago, two falls ago, up at home, this buck wandered in. And uh, I was actually on the phone with one of my landowners. It was like in end of September, first part of October. And looking out the picture window to the north on the phone, I see this buck come walking in. We got alfalfa around our house. And I get to looking at him. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I go grab my spotter while I'm talking. This guy set up tripod. And I'm looking. Here comes this buck. And he's probably three and a half years old. Probably 155 maybe. Maybe a tick bigger. But he has like a six-inch dropper off of one side. I'm like, God dang. So I told my wife, I said, I need to keep tracking him because we have a county road that goes right through the bulk of our all of our place and it goes you know our place goes for quite a ways but and i don't hunt our own place uh for the fact that we have block management on three sides and a guy that used to own the across our fence to the north used to let anybody in that come and asked and we can't grow and we have phenomenal ground. We have alfalfa. We got Wait, you don't hunt your ranch because it's surrounded by block management? Because I can't grow anything up. Oh, you can't find a mature animal. I can't. I can't because they will wander, right? And we have okay. some phenomenal habitat. Alfalfa, wheat, great water, sage, you name it, we got Gotcha. It. But, and of course, we get trespassers, yada, yada. So anyway, I told my wife, I said, you know, when I'm gone, you have to keep track of that deer and just, you know, try to save him. And one day she went, she was always watching out for him. One day there was somebody parked on the road, which is fine. We can't control that. And she pulls up behind him a little ways, doesn't say anything, doesn't get out, nothing. Obviously takes pictures of his license plate, all that, like we're instructed to do. And pretty soon the guy sticks his hand out the window and he starts motioning her like this and she just sits there. Pretty soon he just flips her the bird. And my wife's not a very big person, but tempered, that's terrible. Mm. Yeah. Stands with the fist. Stands with the fist. Stands with the fist. She, she hits her name. above her weight class. Bad. Great and, lady. <laughs> and she... What uh, do you but, think the guy wanted to talk to? Like, was he going to say, can I shoot that? No, I think he just wanted her to keep going. So he could shoot so it. So he could shoot it. Oh, okay. She was not doing it. So oh, she just sat there. Oh, 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 oh. And gotcha. pretty soon he flips her the bird. And I mean, she told me, she said, I about lost it. And she said, I stepped out of the vehicle. I'm like, you can't do that. I said, you're not very big for one and two. You, they're, they weren't doing anything wrong at this point, so you have to be careful legality-wise, or legally-wise. And then pretty soon he just hauled ass as soon as he started coming up to the window. But I mean, it's shit like that that we get tired of. Yeah. Or, you know, our place is fairly large, and it's in order for her to kind of cover it all, 
there's one another road county road that goes by I don't know how many hundreds of acres of alfalfa in that one spot, but a lot. And a lot of deer in it. She went up there one morning, that's two falls ago, we had some snow. Saw where somebody had skidded one out under the fence to the road. Next morning, she tries to be up there, you know, at game time or prime time. Somebody beat her to it, killed another one, drug them under the fence. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's orange as orange gets. But that's... Okay, so... To me, that's shooters. That's not hunters. They're killers. They're killers. They're just... So, uh, where does this... That's a different topic. Where, like... Where does this go? Like, um... Is... Is there no solution to that? Oh, there are damn sure solutions, and it goes... You'd have to have so many... I'm a hard I mean, I could, I could... I could poach for the rest of my life and not get caught. Like, oh, I could do. Yeah, it's, most people could. Well, no, I'm not going to say that because a lot of them aren't smart enough to not get caught. Yeah, but there's a large handful. That, yes, you are correct. They could. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, better enforcement. I mean, it's going to only get us so far. I there's there's not there's very few wardens here. Oh God. So in your opinion, are we low on terribly low? Okay, we've got down there where I hunt. Broad, you know, the broadest area where I run my operation. There's one warden. We've had some phenomenal wardens down there. Every one of them have been great. And there's, but they revolve. Hmm? Because small town USA, I don't think that position pays very well. If they're married, their wife can't find a job. But, you know, I mean. There's all kinds of things. It yeah. is. Yeah. But, so anyway, we've got some phenomenal wardens down there, but they are spread thin. Terribly thin, yeah. and it's not just down there; it's everywhere. Let's let's speculate for a minute. Why do hunters behave more poorly now than in the past? Oh, I have an answer. Go ahead, Rod. I have an I have an answer for that. To in feed my mind. their goddamn ego, for one. There, thank you. See, that answer makes a lot of sense to me. Like one of my biggest gripes is hunting TV and people that have a compulsion to show strangers what they shoot on the computer. And that, I think, has infected so much ego into the hunting sphere that um, it, it's just like there's, there's way more emphasis on having something to brag up to people. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, go ahead. So you... So... I guess that explains some components of it. It doesn't explain shitting in front of the sign-in box or leaving trash all over the place. That just boils down to Or leaving the gate go Like the ones that I hear that lead to places coming out of block management. I mean, those aren't are due to society having a, a bigger ego. But I, could, I definitely can see where the poaching bit is, due, yep. is due to people having... Because oh. they feel they have to do better than their neighbor or their friend or some other guy they're friends with on social media. I got I got to outdo him. Well, I can't do it if I'm hunting block management or public. But boy, that buck across the fence sure looks good. Yeah. I'll wait till I'll wait till right before dark. I'll slip in there and bang him over, and then I'll skid him out of there. My friends come pick me up. Done. I'll take him somewhere else. Take pictures and pat myself on the back and that's where we're at yeah I, did you know that I uh, 
uh, wrote an article a couple months ago that was critical of hunting social media. No, John was kind of explaining some of that to me a little, you know, uh, cliff note version, but... The article outlines several concerns I have with hunting social media. And one of them is that I think it incentivizes hunting for the wrong reasons, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Instead of hunting for hide horns, meat, personal satisfaction, and the sense of self-reliance you get from providing for yourself, it's about getting likes on social media, maybe trying to get some sponsors and some free gear and all that bullshit. So I guess the point here is I can completely buy that we're, that people would resort to illegal means to appease, to satisfy their desire to have people pay attention to them. Now, you've been and, asking a lot of the questions, all the questions. I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. Is it wrong for us as outfitters to use social media as a marketing tool? I'm, I'm more... I'm more inclined to talk about, instead of saying right and wrong, I am going to have a, a couple, I'm going to have a, a ethicist from the University of Montana in a couple weeks to talk about the ethics of some of the things that, I, that I'm concerned about in hunting. But what I'm trying to emphasize in, like in that article with the podcast is, is the hunting community acting in their own best interest? So this is what I meant to go where I meant to go with the hunting social media article was if you care about access and your area not being overcrowded and when you do encounter people that they're out there for the right reasons you care about being a good shot etc 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 I can't remember them all right now then for God's sake Stop following these douchebags on social media and go shoot your bow. There's no good that comes from if you're a, if you are a public land or a bang on the door kind of hunter. I don't see one benefit to looking at what some stranger shot on social media. So I, I don't feel comfortable saying it's right or wrong for an outfitter to use that as their as a marketing tool. Yeah, I don't. It's I'm more I, I'm I'm more focused on. Are you serving your? Uh, if you really care about hunting, then you, you should you should behave in a way that protects your own hunting. And looking at that crap is is counterproductive to your own hunting. Now it back, makes it hard. Here's another one: it makes it harder to draw a tag. Exactly, draws attention. Yeah. If if the hunting community was like instead of like liking that stuff, was more like why do you gotta why do you are you are you like an attention starved little child that has to show people <laughs> did you have daddy issues like right. that you your mommy and daddy why don't you pull your fucking big boy pants up and, and stop like trying to draw attention to, to the thing you shot to a bunch of strangers on the computer and if it became like that was what what people were confronted with when they put something online i think they'd stop doing it and i think hunting pressure would go down because it'd be no longer be like people using it to try to get famous. But but the social media thing just so kills me because because we're, we're, we're selling big deer, we're attaching a number to it, we're inviting more people to come, um, and there's no place for them to go. And I can attest to the fact that I came here 30 years ago and I could literally hunt just about anywhere if I was willing to ask 
They said yes. And you were in the right you were in the right field of work. Well, but he's still in that field. And, he can't, and I'm still in I that know, field. I know, but that was good for you because yeah, you yeah. were in the right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And 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 now, of course. See, this is the this is the part that's that's interesting to me. I wanna. I wish I understood why it was like that for you and him and all my other friends in town then and not now. Okay, so I think like I'm still stuck on that question, and I'm st- also still interested in do people throw? Okay, we talked about people poach more now maybe because of social media and their ego getting involved. But do they throw throw cans out the window more now and drive? Uh, Absolutely, I think they do. Absolutely. So why is that worse now? <laughs> wow, uh, that's almost a whole new <laughs> podcast. But to be completely honest with you, poor upbringing. Yes, I was just going to say that. My <laughs> dad would have knocked the living teeth out of my head if he would known that I had treated a landowner improperly. Okay. And nowadays, let's face it, so if these guys go from the gaming room in the dark closet and a 12-pack of Budweiser to hunting. They have no damn idea how to treat landowners, and they cause problems. You're exactly so, wrong. So, 100% correct. So the reason that the, the opportunity used to be better than it is now around here is because society has gotten more rude. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then that's an interesting thesis. And, and then, then we, and then we, come you know along. what? But like since the eighties, when in the eighties opportunity was greater here, I would imagine a lot greater, yes. right? Well, crime rates are down since the eighties, so it's like we're a more rude, more rude, more more, but but more honest society. Or maybe people are too lazy to steal, but the few that are energetic enough to steal. <laughs> good, good twist on that. I like that. That's good. Higher fines for poaching. Or trespassing. Or trespassing. Messing up. But, okay, but I, huh? both of those. Just messing up in general. Those, yes. Okay. I'm all for the, that, having higher fines for, for poaching and trespassing. But my primary concern is crowding and lack of access. And I don't see how finding people for poaching or trespassing helps with that. I can see where finding somebody for, for littering on private lands helps with that. Because if you litter on block management land, the guys, could, the cooperator might leave block management. And then, then the crowding increases because there's fewer acres and the same amount of hunters. But I don't see where higher fines for poaching is going to improve my hunting. Absolutely will. I mean, it'll it'll make us like, more animals out there that aren't poached. Well, yeah, here's so, why it's going to help. But that okay. is if there is a higher penalty for and for trespassing or aggravated trespass, if you will, if you trespass and kill something. Okay. And I mean, when I say higher. If it were up to me, or even uh, a lot of my friends in Moga or the guys I run around with in the outfitting industry, a thousand bucks for your first offense and a year's loss of privileges. Now it gets people paying attention. I'm not going to go shoot that one over across the fence because... I see where that helps outfitters, but I don't see No, it helps everybody. Okay. Because it shines a... Once that... If that would get... When it does get implemented, 
people will start behaving correctly. And pretty soon landowners will be like, all right, these guys are maybe, shit, they've been good the last few years. I think, yeah, you can hunt, you bet. I think it'll open, I know, it'll open doors. And everybody wants to bitch and squeal and piss and moan because they can't get onto a place. Well, there's a reason they can't, because they can't behave. Now they'll start getting their pocketbook and start taking privileges away. Pretty soon they'll start to behave, and then pretty soon that door opens back okay. up. And that's, but now this is reciprocal. Outfitters need to be held accountable when they step on their, when they stub their toe, which we have a lot to lose, our license, our livelihood, whatever. And landowners need to be held accountable when you hear these stories about landowners harassing hunters or herding game back onto their place. It goes both ways. Sure. Don't you agree, John? Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever have uh, clients abandon game at the butcher? They have a donation program. Some, my, a lot of my guys that fly, not a lot, but some that fly, they will donate it. Apparently it goes to uh, different, you know, the needy, if you will. But they've paid for the price. They pay for it. Where, where, they, where they fly. When they fly, fly out. Oh, oh, I fly meat and all over the freaking country. I well, like, yeah, but some people, it, it's costly. Uh, so some people do, uh, you know, uh, donate it. I just hear a lot of stories around here about, of, of guys coming out here and haunting up with a guide and then leaving, just abandoning the meat. At, like leaving it in the field? No, at the butcher. At the butcher. So Never paying for it. Oh, no, no, yes. no, 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 no. That, that you that, know, I don't know what. That. This, this, there's a guy here in town that gave, stopped processing game because of that. Well, that was his fault because he didn't take money up front. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, no True, was, that's a good point. It wasn't totally his fault. That asshole that did it should have sure, done it. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah. he should have got paid. Yeah. No, we wouldn't. No, uh, any outfitter worth their salt would not allow that to happen. Worth, you know, like I say, not everyone, but yeah. I don't know. I I just think in order to get for us to get ahead of this, we've got to increase penalties. Um. All right, fellas. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot, and uh, once again, I I maintain my cool for the fourth podcast. I think that is the way that, you know, everybody, the big thing is, oh, well, all these groups need to come together. Well, they never do. Never do. We just yeah. did at this table. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's great. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.